big song. That was amazing. Yeah. I uh, my name is Brody. This is my wife Brooke. Yeah. We've been married for two years, and uh, I'm a little bit surprised. I told Brooke, I said, "There's gonna be five people that come to our class today." A little bit more time. I, I mean, I literally thought there would be five today. But I, I want to get like a quick poll. Like, why are people here? Like, why did you guys come to this class? What are you trying to gain from it? Because it's uh, changing my whole lesson right now. But just some like quick feedback. Hey, this is what I'm really going after. This is what intrigued me about the class. Yeah. That's awesome. How to do what I do now want to do. Subject that we're addicted to. 
And so I want to help you guys change your bad vims, your vision, as it means to get to a good vim. And so, because uh, I think willpower will not solve the issues in your life. Like, you can't grunt through your spiritual walk with God. We really do have to change our vision and not only the means. So let's take a look at uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. And we're going to go back and uh, try to get the correct vision about our walk with God. So in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, it says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And uh, here's the first point, is understand the gift. And so for us to have the correct vision, we have to understand the gift that we've been given. And I, I mean, I truly believe this is the most important part. And you guys all know the stupid English tool, like when you see therefore, you're supposed to ask, why is that therefore, right? You guys with me? And so all of chapter one, Peter's talking about how we have this amazing gift from God. Like we have this inheritance that's more valuable than gold. Like we've been given mercy, we have the salvation, we're born again, we have this living hope in Jesus, we get a new family, God's our dad, like we get to be his legit son and daughter, and we get to wait on this new world when Jesus comes back. But I want to ask you guys, do you understand your gift? Do you understand your gift the way that Peter understood the gift? Because I think if you do, you will change anything in your life. Like, if you truly understand what God is giving you, I think you will change anything in your life to be more like Jesus. I think most of us know that it's special, but I really question how much, like, how much do we actually value the gift that we've been given? And does it look like that to other people? Because maybe you think you value it, but maybe someone's like, man, they don't actually take care of it the way they're supposed to. And uh, this point kind of made me think about uh, my little sister. And so she right now is 12. We adopted her from China maybe like 13 years ago. And so I don't know if you guys know anything about China, but... um, Oh, so she's negative one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to do the math. But, uh, okay, so China has a one-child policy, right? You have one kid, and, I mean, most families want to carry on their name, right? So they're hoping for a boy, but if they get a girl, they end up either deciding to kill the kid, or they give it over to adoption, or to an orphanage, or leave it on doorsteps somewhere. And so it's a terrible, I mean, awful situation. And my mom read this book, was, like, super convicted, had to convince like my dad and our family, like, hey, let's let's go after this. Let's see if we can adopt someone from China. Oh. But I think about my little sister. I mean, I remember her picture. It honestly looked like a mugshot. They just shave everybody's head so they don't get lice. But uh, I mean, one in millions of kids out there, right, that are like destined to have a terrible life, growing up in an orphanage. A lot of people don't even make it. The orphanages are like terrible. They leave. I remember this other family. This orphanage left the windows open in the winter, and like they woke up the next day, and maybe like ten kids had died because they froze to death. Like just terrible situations, right? And my sister gets this opportunity where she's saved from that terrible life. I'm like, she maybe would just been poor, lonely. She might have died early, but think about how God took her from that situation and brought her into my family. And she gets, I mean, she has brothers and sisters. She has amazing mom and dad. She gets a spiritual influence. 
But that's the same thing for us spiritually. Like, we are all orphans in the world, and God, mm-hmm. one out of the millions of people, took us yeah. and placed us in his family. Yeah. Yeah. Gave us a warm house, clothes, like he's taking care of us spiritually. I wonder if you guys really understand the gift that we've been given. Already. And we have to reflect on this, because if we don't, we won't protect it. And I think you're more likely to change your mind if you understand the gift. Like, if you understand what you've been given, you're like, okay, I want to change the way I think about things so that I can change my action. But uh, it's even more than that. It's more than just trying to understand our gift. But it's understanding that there's even someone out there who's trying to steal our gift and take it away. And so if you guys can look in chapter 5, we're going to read verses 8 and 9. And the verse is going to talk about this uh, practically. So in verse 8 of chapter 5, it says, Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Take it away, Brittany. Okay, so I love this, well, you know, hate it and love it at the same time. It's terrifying. Yeah, but it's yeah. also like a cool image of, okay, Satan is out there, and he, he acts like this lion prowling around. And I studied wildlife science. I want to be a zoologist for like the longest time. So I'm like, oh, I want to know what that was like. What does that mean? So basically, I'm going to go through and talk about like the way that lions hunt. Yeah. And as I'm going through, I want you guys to think about how can Satan do this in my life, or what will that look like for me? And then we'll kind of talk about that as well. Um, but there's some cool facts that I think are pretty enlightening and definitely correlate with how Satan works. Um, so it's important for us to understand Satan's tactics. So that's kind of what we're going for here. Um, but the first thing is that they stay well hidden when they attack. Um, so you don't see them coming. But they, they have to be, they have to stalk in the grass. And that's kind of what you see on these like shows, right? They're really low. They blend in with the grass. You can't really see them. Um, they stay very well hidden until about like, maybe 30 meters right before the charge. So they wait till they're really close where it's almost too late for you to be able to do anything about it before they charge. Um, and they, they have small hearts, which is ironic, so I'm sure so does Satan. Um, but they, that, that means that they don't have a lot of stamina, right? They can't last super long, and they don't go super fast. Maybe fast compared to us, but compared to some other cats, not so much. Um, but that's, that gives the prey an opportunity to maybe outrun them, right? Yeah. Um, so there's, you know, there's that for the prey. But again, they either wait till they're really close or they wait till the prey's not facing them, right? Not paying attention, just facing the other direction. Um, and they typically hunt the isolated, yeah. the young, and the weak or wounded. Um, researchers say that the most successful hunt for a lion is in the dark, with dense coverage against a single prey animal. Um, so I try to think, okay, what does that look like for us? How can we be this prey that gets caught off guard by this lion, right? Because um, Satan's been doing a good job from the very beginning. Just like lions, they hunt the same way every single time. It never fails. Satan does the same thing. He doesn't have to change up his tactics. Um, so if we can learn them, we can be a lot more prepared. But so we think about how he stays hidden, right? So what does that mean for us? What do we need to do? We need to stay alert. We need to be paying attention. Where could Satan be coming from? I need to be watching the grass and all these things around me because I don't know if he's there, if he's hiding, what direction he might come from. Um, So we need to stay alert. Um, We don't want to be caught off guard. But the great thing, too, is that even if we are caught off guard, like a lot of prey are, we still have a chance. 
because we can outrun them, right? Mm -hmm. So if we are caught off guard, we're not prepared, we, we're not ready um, for, to face this temptation like we should have been, um, we can still outrun Satan if we decide to stay in the fight. Satan likes quick results, right? He wants things immediately. He wants you to, to give in now. So even if you feel unprepared, even hold on to that thought sometimes. Maybe that thought can get you through. Of, I wasn't ready for this. I was unprepared. I should have been more prepared. I should have been in my Bible more. I should have been whatever. But no, if I keep fighting, Satan will eventually let go because... He doesn't stay in the fight for very long. He wants a quick, he wants a quick kill. Um, and so, keep that in mind. There's definitely hope no matter what. Um, but Satan also comes um, specifically when we're alone. We're not around disciples. We're in the world, right? Um, we don't have a, a lot of lights around us. Or maybe alone even just not in our Bibles, really. Right? That can, that can be huge. I experienced that a, a huge part of my life where I was kind of showing up with things, but I wasn't in my Bible, so I wasn't really around God. I was just kind of around people, which was nice, but those are some of my darkest times. Even surrounding myself with disciples, but not read my Bible. I had very little faith in God. Felt very, didn't feel very close. Started to think other people were fake. Um, so Satan still uses that, right? So we still need to stay close to God, but we also need to stay close to each other. Um, and he also goes on to after the inexperienced, right? So the young. So that can be young spiritually, but that also can be maybe you're heading in a situation you're not used to or something you've never had to deal with before. Um, maybe it's a family tragedy you've never experienced before. Like, it could be anything that you're experiencing, Satan is ready. Yeah. He knows, right? He can use this opportunity um, that you aren't ready for. Um, and then he goes after the weak and wounded, which can be a really challenging time, right? It can be something super difficult, um, super heavy, but I think it also can just be we're discouraged by something. We're hurt by someone or by something. Yeah. It can be something very small, but Satan knows, now I can get him. Now I can get him to think this. Now I can think, get him to start thinking critically or mean or angry or not wanting to be close to people anymore and push them away. And He'll use anything. And so, um, so keeping that in mind, right? And then there's also this optimal situation for Satan's hunt. Um, what can that look like for us? What are those moments for us where we're alone, we're in the dark, there's plenty of coverage for Satan? Um, and so maybe that's a, you know, that's a party, right? Well, there's plenty of opportunities all over college, campus, right? Sometimes it can even be in class, with, depending on the group that you surround yourself with in class. Um, but I think it also can just be when you're alone in your room, yeah. right? A lot of things can happen when you're alone in your room. Um, and that you're, you're not looking at scriptures, or you're not talking to people, and you're isolated with you and your thoughts in the dark. Um, and so those are just things that really want to think about. What are those moments for me? What does Satan use for me? Because he will use the same things over and over yeah. and over again. Yeah. So the right. more you're prepared, the more you know of what Satan uses for you and what areas that you are kind of in the dark or um, unprepared, the more that you can be more alert and be ready to fight against that and hopefully be able to outrun them even if you're not ready. Good job, Ricky. Thank you. Yeah, I, I think it's like a tough balance of having confidence and like the spirit that God has given us, but understanding who our enemy is. Yeah. And I think my kind of downfall is that I super underestimate Satan. I kind of think that I'm like, I don't know, Superman. I'm like, Satan is nothing. I, I have this life. Like, I don't even have to worry about him. But honestly, has come back to bite me in a lot of different ways. And Brooke has even brought it up. Like, you have to be aware of how Satan's going after your life. I remember the summer after I became a Christian, uh, I went to school at University of Kentucky, and so I went back home like five and a half hours north and uh, in Cleveland, Ohio, yep, and um, I was like all by myself. I mean, the only spiritual influence I had was my parents, 
But I, I remember just like, I mean, I remember the decision of giving up my life for God, just how like on cloud nine I was, and then just how low I dropped that summer, and it like blew my mind. It, it took somebody clung me to make me realize how far I'd really slid down the hill. But I mean, the most memorable thing is, well, I, I drove to work like an hour and a half every day. So an hour and a half there, hour and a half back. I'd wake up at 5, leave at 5.30. So it was terrible. And so I'd get home, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to try to read my Bible. But I'd fall asleep every time. And um, then I was too tired, so I was like, I can't go to church. I need to catch up on sleep. And so I slowly started making these decisions. And I, I mean, I, nothing really that bad I thought in my life was happening. But at the time, I guess I was only 20. No, I don't know. Either way, my friend was turning 21. Somehow I got into a bar with him. I can't remember if I was 21 or not. Maybe they gave me a fake ID or something. But as a Christian, I ended up in this situation. I remember I'm in the bar, and I had a couple beers. And I'm like, what? How did I get from making the decision to live for God to this point right here? You know what I mean? I think that's what Satan does is he knew I was alone. I was isolated really quick. One summer, one decision, one party. And I'm in this situation that I had no idea how I got there. Yeah. But I want to know, do you guys know how you're being attacked right now? Like, how close is Satan to you in this moment? Yeah. Are you aware that he is on the prowl for you? Because I had no idea. I had nobody in my life. And it just ended up in this one moment where I kind of was facing reality and I was staring straight at the lion in this situation that I definitely should not have been in. I'm grateful for that guy that called me. It really changed around my uh, life. I, I came to a retreat just like this. I made a lot of decisions that never go back to that. But I want you guys to know that each one of these steps kind of builds on itself. If you don't understand the gift, and if you don't understand who your adversary is, you're not going to take the time to prepare your mind. And so the third point is sober up. And so in 1 Peter alone, Peter says to sober up your mind three different times. And uh, I was a party, so the only thing I know about sober is like not drinking, you know what I mean? And so I literally had to look it up to see, like, what does it actually mean to have a sober mind? Because I don't think he's talking about alcohol here. And so I looked it up, and they said these three words, and I still didn't know them, so I had to look it up again. So it's temperate, dispassionate, and circumspect. Any of you guys know what those mean? I was like, I have no idea. I went to Kentucky. They don't teach you that kind of stuff there. But, uh, so temperate means to, like, have self-restraint. And then dispassionate means to be rational or impartial. And circumspect means to be cautious or to not take risks. And so I think a lot of us are really good at doing this behaviorally. Like, we, we can go, okay, I'm going to be self-restraint. I'm not going to go to that party. I'm not going to look at that. Or we can even be rational in our thinking, okay, I'm not, I'm not going to... Or we can be rational in our decision-making. Okay, I'm not going to go ahead and do that. I'm not going to be, like, impartial and kind of just make a special case for myself. Or we can be cautious in the behaviors that we decide to partake in. I wonder if we live out these things in our thoughts. Like, do we have self-restraint in our thoughts? Do we go, I will not think about that past relationship. Like, in being rational or impartial, like, I won't go there. I know I, I'm really mad at this brother, but I'm not going to sit and get bitter and think about it in my mind. Like, do we decide to not take risks mentally? Like, I'm not even going to go near that idea because I know what it could eventually lead to. So I want to know, are we really living that way? Brooke is like studying this out a lot, so she's going to share some practicals about how we can really be sober-minded. But go ahead, Brookie. Oh, come on, Brooke. Okay. 
Yeah, so I've had to say this out because I live in my head. I overthink everything. Everything, uh, there's a million thoughts that can pass in my head in a moment. Um, and so I have had to take a lot of time. If you want a book on it, 4 um, 8 Principles, incredible. Yeah. Pretty much everybody in my ministry knows that I talk about that book all the time. Um, so they, I'm sure they've read it or are reading it or something. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, that's what helps us focus our thoughts on what's true, what's noble, what's pure, what's right. Um, and so it help, gives you very practical things of how to do that. Um, so love Philippians 4.8, love that book. Um, but honestly, what what scripture I live by is um, 2 Corinthians 10.5. It says, take captive every thought, make it obedient to Christ. Um, so that, that to me is like, oh, cool, like what a great idea. But to actually live it out is, is pretty challenging. Because um, I found myself, well, it took me a while to even get to the place where I was taking captive every thought because I would just let my mind go. Just go and go and go. And it, I would just believe it as truth. I would just accept it, roll with it, and then I'd end up in these toilet bowl, dark places where I hated the world and hated myself and my life I was living. And um, Even as a disciple, I could easily go there, right? And so um, so I had to learn, okay, I, need to, I, need, I can't get there. I can't wait till I'm there because it's a lot harder to get myself out. Yeah. I need to learn to take captive of these thoughts that lead to that point. So that one critical thought, that one um, insecure thought, that one mean thought or selfish thought or like I gotta take captive those thoughts um, but even then that wasn't enough because I find myself stuffing these thoughts oh I can't think that that's bad uh, get it away get it away and I just kind of like push it away and not really think about it not really address it just try to get away from it um, but I would just they would just pile up in the back of my head until I hit a wall where I felt really discouraged or it was a really hard day or this sister just did it in for me and so then it all comes like vomiting out and all my feelings that they didn't go away. They're just stored somewhere else, right? right. So then they just came back up. Um, so then I realized like, man, I'm not living out this scripture. I'm only taking captive these thoughts. I'm not taking, making them obedient to Christ. Um, and so I had to figure out what does that even mean? How do you even do that, right? Um, so I think that there's all different things. I'm sure the more you look into that, you can figure out, okay, how can I really do that? But some things that I've found is... Um, scriptures, right? So I need to not just take these thoughts and stuff them away, but I need to take these thoughts and I need to replace them with truth. Yeah. And yeah. that doesn't happen automatically. So that means I've got to wrestle through that. Like, mm. I know the Bible says this, but I just feel like that's not really true right now, but I, I really need to focus on what's true about what God says. Like, how do I really make myself believe that right now? Like, you know, like replace, even just repeating scriptures over and over, memorizing them, um, meditating on them. Um, but I've got, to, I've got to replace that thought with truth to the point where I actually believe it. It becomes my vision, right? It's not just something that I just say is true but don't actually believe it in my heart or actually think it. Um, and honestly, I think one of the biggest things, too, with that is I rarely can do that by myself. I've learned to do that somewhat by myself. I think you can get better at it over time. But even still, I need people to tell me truth. Um, I cannot even tell you the amount of times. I mean, I, I, there's a lot of people that have helped me with this, um, one, you need to have a conviction to have somebody in your thought life. Mm -hmm. That's an intimidating thing. But you need to be able to have people in your life that you tell your ugliest thoughts to. Yep. Yeah. Um, like, man, I just thought this guy was just the biggest, fattest, most prideful guy ever, and I just hated him for it. Like, I was just so annoyed today. Like, I don't even want to talk to him. I don't want to associate with him. Like, um, you know, that can be a brother that I'm feeling all this different stuff, and i got to be really honest, because, like, he just lifted himself up, and I think I should have been lifted up. Like, I gotta be honest with where I'm really at, um, and I that I've had multiple women in my life, and honestly, most consistent, obviously, is my mother. Um, so it's been cool because the amount of times that I've called her 
and just vented these different thoughts that I've had, and she's been like, Brooke, you need to stop. That is a lie from Satan. Yeah. And I'm like, no, but you don't get it. Like, there's so much more in this situation. Let me talk to you again. Like, there's more to it. And she's like, nope, Brooke, that is a lie from Satan. And she'll literally say it to me over and over and over until I'm finally like, okay, maybe you're right. I got to rethink this. Let me, let me go back to these, like, where am I really coming from? What's God's truth? But we need yeah. people in our life who are going to do that with us, who know us well enough, um, and they're going to challenge us, right? They're going to challenge our way of thinking. They're going to push us to think the way that God really wants us to. But you also have to open that door. That doesn't just naturally happen. Right. You've got to make the phone calls in the moment where you're feeling a lot of stuff, not just Ooh. after, right? That was what I would do for a while. Afterwards, like, oh, okay, yeah, I'm fine with it now, but, you know, I figured it out. I've got all the yeah. answers, but this is what I've seen this one time. But that doesn't really do anything. Like, I need somebody to walk me through in the moment um, so that I can get there faster or that I can even understand the sinful nature of my thoughts even more. Um, but so those are some of the biggest things. Replace your thoughts with scriptures. Learn to make them obedient to Christ. To yeah. take God's thoughts and what the way he views you and the way that he views other people and whatever else and you're kind of struggling with your thoughts, whether it's the purity or whatever. Take that and do whatever it takes to make that your vision, your your thoughts. And if you need other people, most of the time you will, go after that. Right? Tell people your, your ugly, raw thoughts. Um, and God will totally help you change all that. Thanks. What um I mean mine's not as deep as her, but I literally have to do something physically to get my mind to stop. I, I don't know yeah. how guys work, but if my mind's going somewhere, I don't know if anyone's ever caught me doing it, I literally would go, no. Like I'll say it out loud so that I can like or I'll like snap, I'll hit my like I have to like stop the brain wave somehow, but that's what I do and it honestly works. So if you're a guy, it's simple, it helps me out. But um <laughs> It gives like eight different practicals that I want to share with you guys. Hopefully you guys are fast riders. But in the scriptures alone, it gives eight different practicals that I was like, man, if we could live this out, this would be amazing. One is to prepare your mind. That means you have to take time beforehand to prepare your mind, right? The second is to be sober-minded. Third is to set your hope fully on grace. Fully, completely on grace. That's awesome. Number four is to not conform to your old life. Five is to be holy. You guys catching up? Four was to not conform. Five is to be holy. Six is to be watchful. That's kind of looking out for Satan in your life, right? Seven is to resist him. Resist him, and eight is to be firm in your faith. Wow, come on, bro. So you guys know, like, in the New Testament alone, 79 times it talks about our mind. Like, 70, like, it's not like a little thing. It's a big deal that the Bible deals with is where our mind is at. And even, like, I don't know if we think this way, but you guys know the greatest commandment, hopefully, right? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, right? And I think we are amazing at loving God with all of our heart yep. and all of our strength, all our soul, right? But I don't know how often we go after loving God with our mind, with all of our mind, right? So I think that's an area that we really need to strive to be strong in, is loving God with all of our mind. And so some areas that Brooke and I thought like really can affect people, uh, we wrote down a couple, and I wanted to share them with you guys. 
But obviously, impurity. And I, I mean, I don't know. I like, I, I love it. Like, get rid of the laptops and whatever you got to do. But I think if we're only going after changing the means, the behavior, it only lasts for so long, right? Yeah. Yeah. But if we could change our vision, do you guys like understand the like sickness that happens in those videos? Like, no. it's a slave. Like, it, it, there's nothing actually really attractive about that. Wow. It's someone who is so pathetic, like that needs money to that level that they do something like that. You know, like it's just crooked. It's wet, like wicked that a guy would. I don't. I can't even like fathom the idea behind it. But if you change your vision. What is there attractive about it? If anything, on, it's like, I mean, they're taking Law and Order episodes about it. You know what I mean? Like, it's <laughs> sick. It's gross. Like, people go to jail for that stuff. The second area was pride. Wow. Man, if we could change our vision, do you really think you're higher than someone else? Like, do you really think you're above God in this area? Like, changing your vision about pride will change everything. Uh, the third was bitterness. Like, really, you're, you have something upset with God's daughter or God's son, like, you don't understand how like sad that probably makes God feel that you can feel this way towards his son and daughter. And the fourth one is insecurity. But just, I mean, it's kind of like what we talked about. Change your vision. God like loves you. He adopted you. He saved you from this terrible life. Brought you into an amazing new family. And so to close out, the thing is anyone can change a habit. Like, I mean, people drop smoking all the time. People lose weight. Anybody can change a habit. Anyone can change a behavior. It takes a lot more to change your mind. And what I want us to all be about is changing our mind so that our heart changes so that we can live a life more like Jesus. That's all I got for you guys. Amen.